your name we pray. Amen. You can remain standing. Let's give it up for the man. Yes, we remembered this week. We remembered this week. Every time he says, be seated, I'm like, we got to stay standing. As you're standing, would you remain so for the reading of God's word as we dive into our passage this morning? We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 25, verses, uh, well, Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, forgive me. And it reads like this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and we saw him. He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, that he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Jesus, we pray this morning, as we examine and open your word, God, that you would speak to every person individually a word that they need to hear. If it's encouragement, would you bring encouragement? If it's conviction, would you bring conviction? God, if it's uh, just a, a word that they need to hear, God, that you would deliver it on time. So we love you, but we know that it's because you only first loved us. It's in Christ and we pray Amen. You may be seated. Yes, we got it right this time. <laughs> we got it right. Oh, man, uh, it is so great to be with you this morning. If we have not had the chance to meet, uh, my name is Izzy, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, and I just want to say this is kind of like Olive Garden or Chili's when you're here, family. Uh, so you might hear me refer to you as primo or prima. Uh, that means cousin in Spanish. So uh, you're my cousin. You're my primo. You're my prima. It means we can get taquitos afterwards if you want, if you're not fasting from that, okay, just, just, uh, just we're making that clear, uh, man, I am so thankful that you are here this morning, it's really a privilege, anytime, other, anyone other than myself, Ryan, and Megan show up on a Sunday, we're like, you know, we, we went in faith asking God to move, and now we're praying for an awakening in our city. And we're asking God to do it here and that, that, that what happens in these next uh, 30 days that would, would transpire to see revival spread across our city, across our state, across the nation, into the ends of the earth. 
right? And, and we have been journeying together last night. Some of you were with us. We, we spent time with uh, the Rim Church in Mission City just on our knees praying, asking God, uh, man, not just to awaken our hearts for our own purposes, but, but man, for the people around us, the people that, that we sit with every day that we see in our workspaces, that we see at the cubicle next to us, uh, people that we see, our barista, our, our taquito lady, the, uh, that's, that's just me, okay. Uh, don't, I've seen some of y'all at Cuenovas Tacos, don't lie. Uh, and we're praying and, and asking God, God, would you just do something? Would you move mightily? And so we've been kind of journeying through this idea of what it means to awaken. We, we're, we're, we're praying and fasting together, and this morning we're asking God to awaken our hearts to the neighbor around us. We're examining one of the most recognizable passages in all of the New Testament and all of Scripture, really. And even, in, in fact, if you're not a Christian, the, the, the reality is that you've probably heard the phrase Good Samaritan used at one point or another in your life, right? You've probably heard it to describe some heroic deed that somebody did on the side of the road, saving like a baby from a moving car or something. Like, I mean, there's, there's all these things. Uh, perhaps you've, used, you've heard it used as a political talking point, as uh, this is a good Samaritan deed. And, and either way, uh, whatever way you want to think about it, you know it as a good thing, right? We know this idea of the good Samaritan as a positive Thing, but the story as we examine the passage, it doesn't come unprompted. The story of the Good Samaritan doesn't come on its own. In fact, there's a question that leads to the story of the Good Samaritan, or as the NLT would say, the despised Samaritan. The question is one that we may find ourselves asking today. And if you haven't, maybe you should. And it's this Who is my neighbor. This question becomes more and more important as our cultural moment reveals how increasingly divided we are as a people. Think about it. Uh, when you get into the vein of politics, yes, I'm going there a little bit, uh, the left hates the right. The right hates the left. And if you're in the middle, you just hate everything and everyone around you. Uh, so uh, some people resonate with that. And they're like, amen. Like, I cannot stand it. <laughs> I cannot stand to turn on the news. Uh, right, And so, so loving your neighbor as yourself gets increasingly more difficult when, we are not, when we're content with simply actually just not hating them or not associating with them or sadly not even knowing who they are. Right? Like we've gotten so comfortable with this, uh, this idea of a neighbor just existing and as long as I don't hate them, even though they're different because they're different than me, if I don't hate them or if I don't associate, we're, we're tolerable. And that is contrary to the way of Jesus. As we continue through our month-long journey of praying and fasting, we're starting this sermon series and this, this kind of awaken idea, simply asking God to awaken our hearts to the neighbor around us, that we would love them as we love ourselves. Luke's account of Jesus' lies speaks this very question we're asking today and gives us some things to consider. In this passage, we see this lawyer, uh, some translations would, would actually point out the fact that it is a uh, re religious lawyer, so he is an expert in the things of religious law, and asks the question to try and trap Jesus 
or as uh, some people today would say, catch him slipping, right? That's what they're trying to do in this moment. He asks a pointed question in uh, and, and, and hopes that he would respond incorrectly and immediately hit him with this blasphemy kind of accusation or false teaching. And the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question that he already knows the answer to. Right? It's a setup. There's, there's something happening in this moment. Jesus turns the situation back to this expert in religious law and says, what does it say? How, how do you interpret it? How do you read it? Right? And so, so he knew very well the, what was correct in the eyes of the law. So he responds, well, love God with your whole heart, all your soul, strength, and mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus actually affirms this part. Right? We, we see this in the passage. Jesus affirms and says, hey, do that and you're going to live. Pretty straightforward until the lawyer tries to one-up Jesus. <laughs> Typical, right, of a lawyer? Just like, actually. <laughs> uh, one of my best friends is a lawyer, and he, he's, uh, he goes, yep, I can see that. <laughs> That's true. We would, would do, totally do something like this. He tries to one-up Jesus. And again, in this passage, depending on your translation, it says, wanting to justify himself. That hurt me when I read that, because I totally have done this in my life. Wanting to justify himself, he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Right? He wanted to justify himself, but Jesus goes into the, one of the most convicting and profound parables in all of Scripture. And what makes this so profound is that he takes uh, some of the most respectful, respectable figures in society being the priest and the Levite, or some of you might know that in your translation as a temple worker. He uses these people and juxtaposes them with a Samaritan Gentile of all the people that Jesus could have used to illustrate this good deed, this loving idea. He picks the most despised, irreligious, and disregarded human being, and this is the point. Jesus tells the story of a man who is on his way to Jericho, is stopped by thieves. They rob him, beat him, strip him, leave him for dead. The first person to come into contact with this man is a priest, someone that you would expect to show compassion, someone that you would expect to show love. Someone that knows all the ins and outs of the law perspective of this and that it just intuitively it should be in his nature to care. And what does he do? Scripture says that he passes on by. The next figure that we have is someone just as, well, maybe not to the point of a priest, but a temple worker, a Levite, somebody that, that this is their, their genealogy. This is who they are. This is part of where they are. They're supposed to care. Right? They know God. They know the true and living God. And so you would expect someone who has this knowledge to stop and at least show some compassion. Scripture says that he just passes him by on the other side. Right? They see this man in need and do nothing but leave him for dead. But a Samaritan, a Gentile. Someone who is despised by the Jewish people does what the religious don't. The Samaritan sees the man, has compassion on him, goes toward him, heals his wounds, pours out his wine, gives him himself to take care of the man. And Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, which of these three was a neighbor to that man? The lawyer, so trained in his ways... 
Couldn't even bring himself to answer the Samaritan. Couldn't even say it. Couldn't even say the name of the type of person. He just says, the one who showed mercy. The disdain in this man's voice and what he says does not even choose to acknowledge his humanity. Right? And Jesus says something to this. What must I do to be a loving neighbor? Jesus tells him, be like that guy. The lawyer had no concept of this. In fact, according to the New Testament, most Jews only saw other Jews as neighbors. And even then, it wasn't all of them and certainly not a Gentile. And Jesus is here basically saying, be like that guy. Like, it's kind of like us today. We're totally fine singing Kumbaya and playing patty cake on a Sunday and fail to really acknowledge this in our lives. The way of Jesus and how he calls his followers to love their neighbor was countercultural then. And guess what? It's still countercultural today. We read this account in the Gospels and we think, how dare those religious people, right? Like if, if you're reading on that perspective, I, I know that I, I can kind of read through a, a rose-colored glasses, as they say. Uh, I think we all have a tendency to do that. And, and words come to mind like hypocrite or thoughts like, I would have stopped to help. But could you say that with complete honesty? Like as much as I would love to say that we would, as a whole, most of us wouldn't. Right? How do I know that? Because we're in general a lot more like the lawyer in this story than the actual Good Samaritan. How do I come to this conclusion? I'm glad you hypothetically asked. <laughs> we are all products of discipleship. I've said this over and over. If you've been with us any, any amount of time during the fall, during the summer, uh, we're all being discipled by something, and the reality is that most of us have become better disciples of modern culture than we are disciples of the way of Jesus, right? That we're pious like the priest, religious like the Levite, yet blinded to our neighbor just like the lawyer in this parable, all while people are left for dead on the side of the road and we remain unmoved. Right? Like we are being discipled into the way of the world who teaches us that we're fine in our, in our bubbles. We're fine in our echo chambers. We're fine so long as I don't have to extend grace to the right. I don't have to extend grace to the left political spectrum. But if I just stay in my camp, this is me loving my neighbor. And Jesus actually in, in another passage would say or in scripture we would see that that, that does actually nothing for you. Right? That even the sinners can love one of their own. So just think about that. Culture has discipled us to align politically. We think negatively the opposing side won't engage in civil discussion. We don't show value to anyone with differing opinions. In our churches, there are arguments like we worship this way and we like the teaching this way. We form theological tribes and assume the worst of those who don't share the same opinion, further proving that we are better disciples of the way of the world than the way of Jesus. And the way of the world is perfectly content with you never knowing your neighbor that is different why? Because in our cultural moment, we ask, who is my ally, someone I can lock arms with and fight with, rather than the way that Jesus asked, who is my neighbor, the person I am to open my arms and receive with love, no matter how different they may be. The reality of our lives is that we're looking for allies that we can lock arms with and fight people, rather than being the way of Jesus and asking, who is my neighbor that I can open my arms to? This is true of who we are. 
For centuries, the church was known for being the most giving people through charitable work and foundations. The church was on the front line for causes of justice, racial equality, human rights, the building of hospitals, the creation of orphanages, all fueled by a love for God and love for our neighbor. And now in the West, we are known for the way we vote. We're known for a lack of grace shown toward the LGBTQ community. We're known as people who claim to know a loving God on Sundays but fail to extend the love to others the other six days of the week. And how can we blame them? If we're honest with ourselves, we do a really bad job of this. The truth is it's impossible to love your neighbor if you avoid them or hate them altogether. So how do we move from being like the lawyer, the priest, or the Levite into a better way? We have to have a better understanding of who we truly are in this story. And so while we may be tempted to look at this story in Scripture and this parable uh, and place ourselves in the story and make ourselves to be the hero uh, in our day-to-day lives, we might be closer to the priest or temple worker. Right? We might have the head knowledge, we know the information, we know the right things to do, and yet when it comes to loving the people most opposite of, of us, the people that are different, that think differently, vote differently, we find ourselves passing by on the other side, as the text explains. My prayer uh, in this, as I was, I was spending time with Jesus and just asking, God, give us a word for today, is that we would model our lives after Jesus, who, in my opinion, is the ultimate expression of the Good Samaritan. As I was preparing, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I'm neither the lawyer, the priest, or the temple worker in a spiritual sense. I am, I am actually the man who fell among the robbers. I am the man that was stripped, left for dead, and needing someone to rescue me. Here I am thinking I am actually maybe the religious. <laughs> and that's the, actually the, the best that I can do in this parable. And it hit me. I don't know. Is You were actually broken and beaten and left for dead. And Jesus, the good Samaritan, came. Jesus, like the Samaritan in this story, saw me. He had compassion on me, came to me, bound up my wounds, gave of himself so that I may be healed and I may be whole. Right? Jesus models this idea of neighbor throughout the entirety of the New Testament. In fact, Eugene Peterson puts it perfectly in in his summation of John 1.1 that we know as the incarnation where the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. You want to see the ultimate example of neighbor? Eugene Peterson says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into our lives. Jesus sees the needs, right? We, we see this throughout the entirety of Scripture that he brings comfort to the hurting. He brings wine to the party when they're running out, right? It's the good stuff. He, he, he saves the best for last. Like Some of y'all are like, yes, God, I could get behind that kind of Jesus. Like, bring out the, if I'm at a party, y'all are there. Y'all better not hold out on the cheap, on the good whiskey, right? <laughs> yeah. Bring out the weller. Somebody bring out the weller. All right, I'm drinking that. <laughs> and that's going to be how you love me as a neighbor. <laughs> 
but man, we see that, that Jesus, right, he, 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 he heals people, right? He brings healing to the sick, sight to the blind. He brings humanity to the leper, counts the poor as blessed. Jesus is the good Samaritan that sees us, comes to where we are, shows compassion, binds up wounds, gives up himself so that we may be whole and healed. And what does this mean for you and I? That following Jesus changes how we love our neighbors and the world around us because Jesus sets the standard for the question, or for the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? And actually asks the question, how do I best love my neighbor? Right? It, there's a difference, a nuance here of not just acknowledging that they exist, but how do I step into their lives and seek to bless and honor and love the people around me? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not because of any work that you have done or merit that you have earned, or simply, uh, but it is simply a gift of grace that Jesus extends to you and now calls you to open your eyes to the world around you, extend a hand, open your arms to display the good news to your neighbors. One of my favorite pass, or quotes on this is from uh, an, a late missionary and, and one of my favorite writers, Leslie Newbegin. He wrote this. He says, It is a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel to think that it offers us salvation while relieving us of responsibility for the life of the world, for the sin and sorrow and pain which our human life and that of our fellow men and women are so deeply inter." Woven. If you are a believer, if you claim to be Jesus, we don't get an exemption to pass people by. Let's go. Right? That the gospel message is one that reaches us and God calls us to reach others. Right? And that starts with not just acknowledging your neighbor, but loving your neighbor and seeking to meet their needs and love them well. Loving our neighbors like Jesus is not only our responsibility, it is a command. And it's something that we need to, to ask ourselves really deeply is, is, who is my neighbor and how do I best love? And not in a love that just lets everything flow and free for all, but lovingly asking Jesus, God, please help me just to know them and serve them. We don't like that idea because it's costly. It costs us something. For some of us, uh, myself included, it's cost me pride. I don't want to have to lay that down. It might be opening our eyes or opening our arms to the fact that we may be wrong, and I don't like that either. We don't like that it makes us uncomfortable because we like coming on a Sunday and lifting our hands when the, when the chorus gets loud. And, and we, we love this little kumbaya thing. And some of you hate that we probably took those tables out from that, but that was on purpose. <laughs> that, so you can sit with your neighbor, know them, and love them. <laughs> it was strategic. It was. <laughs> Conviction or maybe manipulation, but... <laughs> You're sitting next to your neighbor, and there you go. Uh, but we don't like this idea. We like it in theory, right? We, we like the idea of love. But we don't ever really acknowledge that love involves sacrifice. And it's going to take something of you. So what does this look like on a practical level for us to ask God to awaken our hearts to our neighbors around us? Only you can answer that. I've had the privilege of serving in ministry vocationally for uh, almost uh, right at 10 years, I guess, at this point. 
we're in 2022, it's, it's hard. The last two years, they're like, what year is this? And so I'm like, eight. And I'm like, actually, it was two years ago. Okay, never mind. Uh, and I've seen this in incredible ways. Man, I, you know, it's one of those things that uh, prior to this, I was doing college ministry for 10 years or nine years and then went on staff at ACC and then we planted Man, but I remember seeing this young girl in our college ministry. Her name was Ashley. And uh, some of y'all know Ashley. Uh, she was one of my students in BSM. And this, this young girl in her 20s or 19, somewhere around there, right out of high school, had a love for people, just a love for her neighbor. In college, she started buying people coffee, just like randomly. Uh, uh, we would we would do free you know coffee. We would get free pizza, and they're just like, hey, I think this is a way that we can really serve people. I think this is a way we can really love people. And I'm I'm the kind of guy that's just like, if you have the idea, I will help you. I want to help empower that 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 missionary zeal that you have. And so we set out and uh, to to buy indie coffee, and we would give it out on on Tuesdays, and we had fun signs that that we would just kind of post up and. Uh, and, and here's this girl, just the love of Jesus, handing people cups of coffee. And then that extended to like snacks and sometimes tacos. And we would always get feedback from people saying like, man, we're so thankful. This is the only meal that the only thing that we eat all day. We're here from like, we have classes literally from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And so like this cup of coffee and this taco really goes a long way. And, and it was really, really neat. Uh, through that, Ashley uh, would acknowledge, like, know that people had needs and saw that there was a lot of uh, communities in, in college that actually uh, didn't have vehicles, specifically our international students. They didn't have vehicles. And Ashley says, well, I have a car. And so Ashley, being uh, 20-something, uh, 19, 20 years old, just ended up just giving rides to everybody. <laughs> I mean, like the whole international community at, at UTSA, Kristen knows, she saw this happen. Uh, like, would literally just like, Ashley's like, I'm calling Ashley because like, she's late for a leadership team meeting. I'm like, hey, where are you? She's like, I'm at Target. Like, I'm like, what? She's like, I have like two families. Like, we just like bust everybody. She's like, I'm thinking about asking for the church van. Like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, this is turning into a thing. Uh, through that, some of these families actually were from countries that Christians don't have access to. And Ashley was able to share the gospel with people and show them a, a loving Jesus, got to, to have Bible studies. Uh, not only did she meet uh, some of the, the, the moms, but they brought her into their homes to meet the husband, the kids. I mean, it was an incredible thing. All simply knowing like, hey, people might need coffee. And, and people might need a ride. And through that, God ignited this fire. I mean, this girl was one of the most phenomenal evangelists I have ever seen. She would put me to shame, honestly. Like, I would just be like, Ashley, teach me what you're doing. Uh, and I'm like, you're paying me. I'm getting paid. Uh, but I'm like, I need you to teach me how you're doing this. And she's like, well, I just see what they need. And then I do it. And then I'm like, Jesus just kind of comes up naturally. And then next thing you know, they're like going to church with her. Like this international family in a country that Christians don't even have access to are showing up to this Hodunk Baptist church in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, this is where I go to church. And they're like, let's go. Like, it's, it, it, it is the most incredible thing. Just seeing, when we got to see people come to know Jesus through that. 
Like I, I remember just, just the powerful stories and testimonies and uh, some from, from countries that, that I can't even mention because they're not supposed to know this thing. And, and having some of their students come up to me and saying, after journeying for a while, saying, Izzy, I'm your brother now. They've given their lives to Jesus simply by meet, meeting need. My parents aren't here. They were going to be here this morning, so they can't. So I'm going to share this story. But I've seen my parents do this. My parents have never preached a sermon, have never led a Bible study per se. But I remember this happening multiple times. Uh, my parents aren't rich by, by any means, but have given vehicles away to people in need. Saying, hey, hey, this is paid off. We don't have a need for it. Like this person, this single mom's really struggling. It's yours. Uh, I remember growing up, there was always people in and out of our home. And like, I just assumed that we were related. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm like, you are definitely not my cousin, but my dad just said that's your deal. So like, okay, like, it was like, so you're my uncle, not my cousin. Okay, I get it. I get it now. But my, my dad worked in the oil refinery business for 39 years. He was uh, working at an oil refinery in uh, there were, I don't know if you're familiar, but there was always these massive turnarounds. So people would come in from other states. Uh, they were staying in hotels, and, and our house was open. My mom and dad would pr- prepare a feast, <laughs> uh, and I'm talking like barbecue, tacos, I mean, the, the whole works, and have people over. And I got to hear stories in high school of, or, uh, in high school of my dad uh, sharing the gospel with people in his, during his lunch break. I remember this vividly. My dad would take his Bible and put it in his lunch bag. And I thought nothing of it then. I'm like, oh, it's my dad. He, that's what he does. Like, he just takes his Bible. Never led a Bible study, never preached a sermon. But I would hear stories in high school of my friends who their dads were struggling with things. And, and they say, hey, my dad's meeting with your dad. I'm like, oh, cool. My dad does that with everybody. <laughs> like, and they're like, what do they do? It's like, I don't know. But my dad just like tells me that he meets with your dad. And they go over the Bible during their lunch break. I would just say, like, dad, how does this happen? He just says, they have needs. And I just, we just find ways to do it. And so ask yourself, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Maybe you don't have the means to give away a vehicle. If you do, maybe God's calling you to do that. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's the means of buying someone a a cup of coffee, but doing so with the love of Jesus. So what does it look like on a practical level for us to ask God to awaken our hearts to our neighbors and people around us? Maybe ask for the eyes to truly see your neighbor and their needs. We see this in, in verse 33. Jesus, or the Samaritan, sees that there's a need. Sees him and goes to him. Who are some people in your life that you actually need to open your eyes to and make your way toward them in a way? And don't be weird about it. There's things. Some, some, of, y'all, some, some of y'all in the room are like, all right. I'm like, all right, dude. Just because she's a single girl, that doesn't mean like, you're like, Hey, what's up? You got knee? Like, no, no, no. We're not talking about that. We're not, this, this is not an excuse for a thirst trap, okay? Uh, just saying. Just saying that right now. Some of y'all need to know that. This is not, this is not permission. <laughs> this is not permission. But there are, there are needs that people need around us. There's, they have needs, and we have to find ways just to even open our eyes. I want you to ask the question, how can I best show compassion? You know, I think 
as Christians, a lot of times we're really good at giving answers to things, Sunday school answers, I would say, but really lacking the area of compassion, myself included. I'm among those, uh, especially if, you're, if I think you're wrong. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you laugh because you're probably in that situation too. Um, but how can I best show compassion? And then lastly, how can we best utilize what we have to ensure the betterment of others? Right, we see that this, this uh, Samaritan gives of his oil and wine. That's costly. Right, loving your neighbor is going to cost us something. But God has entrusted us with things so that we can give freely just as Christ has given freely to us. So I want you to ask, as, as I'm going to take a moment and pray for us, but ask yourself, not just who is my neighbor, but how do I best love them? It might be the person that you most despise, just like it was the Samaritan person in this passage. It's not a suggestion. It's modeled by Jesus and its command. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we just ask in this moment as a family, as a church, on behalf of the church, we ask for forgiveness where we have punted on this. We have failed to love people like you model love for us. God, I just say, even now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for taking part in this, for not looking on people with love and, and actually passing by people because maybe they think different or believe different or look different, act different. But Jesus, you call us to love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. God, we thank you uh, that, that we're actually more of the person that fall, has fallen among robbers and we're in desperate need of a savior, someone to see us, to show compassion. So Jesus, we ask, would you give us your eyes to see the world around us, to see the people that are in need? And would you give us, through your Holy Spirit, the ability to meet those needs? God, we pray now that as we go into this season of awakening and we're asking you for revival, that the revival would start in our own hearts and that this would transform itself and translate into our neighborhoods and to, to the city as a whole, to the state, to the country, and the world at large. And Jesus, we ask for your help to do this. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this in and of our own strength. But Jesus, we ask even now, to reveal to us who is my neighbor and how do I best love them. Jesus, awaken our hearts today for our neighbors around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.